You're listening to the Premier Podcast Network. Welcome to the pinnacle of wrestling entertainment, Premier Streaming Network. Join us at watchonpremier.com to unlock the ultimate wrestling experience, curated to perfection. Immerse yourself in the spectacular world of wrestling history, where classic battles and unforgettable moments are at your fingertips. Join us today and experience the epitome of curated wrestling content, because when it comes to wrestling entertainment, Premier sets the standard. Be Premier. Hey everybody, this is Dominic D'Angelo of Many Outlets, and we are back here with another episode of One of a Kind with RVD, and obviously the star of our show is here, it's Mr. Rob Van Dam. Rob, how you doing, man? Excellent, man. Excellent, dude. I'm uh, I'm enjoying doing these shows and hearing people talk about it. People are tuning in. The feedback's been great. Like, people have been not only like learning stuff, but they're like just getting into it. I, I saw on Twitter today, some guy was like, This, this and Ted DiBiase are my new two fa- favorite podcasts. So, cool. get some good feedback. And, dude, I mean, you were telling me just a little bit ago, you're doing a little RVDology. Well, even beforehand, <laughs> you've been inspiring some people that you probably don't even know. Because it, you posted a couple days ago, I think it was. How to be cool like RVD. When you're the passenger, let the driver realize the light turned green on their own. It's not your job to direct traffic. It's controlling factor inside you and how long it can possibly take for them to notice anyway. Relax and enjoy the ride. Yeah. <laughs> What's funny about that is you got to reply. It's somebody said, I'm so guilty of that with my husband. I'll never do it again. Thank you for making me a better person. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. That one, uh, knowing that one person uh, was helped. Yeah. Makes, makes it worthwhile anyway. Yeah. Well, get this. That was my mom. She doesn't even know. Well, I just told her about the podcast. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. more than one D'Angelo here. <laughs> For real, that was your mom that wrote that? Yeah, because I looked and so, I was like, oh, Jennifer wrote that. And I did, did pay yeah. no mind to it. And then when I looked back, I was like, wait a second. What's my mom? <laughs> hey. So. Hey, hey, hey. Stop it. <laughs> um, so, so, so when I write that. In my mind, I just imagine um, a, a lot of basic thinkers thinking that I'm angry writing that, thinking, you know that, you know he must be driving and there must be someone in the seat that's just like pissing him off, you know, for him to go off like that, man. And, and, I, and I just imagine that yeah. just because I think that, you know, I, I think I understand somehow basic thinkers think, but it was actually the complete opposite is me being a passenger and every time like the light turns green, I just, I just kind of like, you know, I wonder like how long it's going to be before she notices and it's not a big deal, but it's just kind of something that's occurring. And I just thought, you know, a lot of people would, uh, would would feel obligated to to tell them, Hey, the light's green. And that's like, so not me. I think I'll share, you know, the way that I do it. So it's the exact opposite of what the basic thinkers would think was my inspiration, but I'm just like noticing how cool I am at the moment. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Like, you're like, you know what? I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. It's all right. You know, <laughs> it's like, I can wait this out. <laughs> yeah. Built up I mean, <laughs> well, you actually added to another tweet that happened and it was traffic is a gateway to road rage. Great. That's the statement. And, hey, Katie, how are you? Hey, good. Good. Good to see you. Good to see you. How hey. are you? I'm doing all right, hanging in there. Back from yeah. Vegas, so it's been nice. <laughs> Most of the reaction from that uh, surprised me. I thought that people would just understand that I was just I was just putting different ingredient or different uh, yeah different ingredients into the recipe into, into the same formula. You know, like the whole gateway thing is so ridiculous. You could use it for anything, and it's true right. from that perspective. But yeah. I thought it was pretty good because it did give you like it made me think about it and I was like you know it kind of depends on the person a lot of the times too yeah it really wasn't about yeah my comment wasn't about it wasn't even going on at the time and nobody was road raging it was just a thought I was just thinking you know that's because that's when it comes to cannabis that's something that some people really stick to they'll seem like so smart they'll be like you know I, I mean I know that a lot of you know it's really not a, that bad for it. it's a lot safer you know than than uh, cigarettes, but it really is a gateway, Rob. It is because my because my cousin, man, he didn't do nothing, and then he started smoking weed. Boom! Now he, then he's doing heroin, <laughs> and that really makes sense to them. So that that was really the inspiration. I was just thinking, like, what would they say to me saying, you know, whatever? The entrance ramp is the gateway to fucking right. car crashes. Are you gonna argue against that, or, or is that true the same way? You know, <laughs> right. No, I thought it was pretty cool to kind of have that all tie in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. <laughs> what, what was neat, too, is Bully uh, Bully responded to the video that we shared about you working stiff with him and stuff like that. And he, he, yeah. he agreed with you. He's like, so true. Me and Rob definitely had our share of snug exchanges. Mutual respect. Always great business and always tore the house down. And I've taken more of his stiff as fuck five-star frog splashes than anyone else. Yeah. <laughs> Would you agree with that? <laughs> that he's he was probably a lot of them. He's taking a lot of them. For yeah. Sure. <laughs> somebody asked if it was Jerry Lynn, and I was like, well, that's a good, that's another good yeah, one. But <laughs> I, I I don't know. That'd be interesting statistically to uh to see what the answer is to that, you know. But uh I know I had a lot more uh stiffer matches with Bubba than Jerry, and that was because of what me and Jerry brought out of each other. Versus what me and Bubba brought out of each other, you know. Right, like, <laughs> like you were saying last week too. It's like how you. De it depends on who you're working with and yeah, how totally. It's, yeah, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a chemical reaction. That's right. So I mean, I I got to go to Vegas this past weekend, uh, and obviously you guys live there. Um, you guys, did you guys have a pretty good night on Sunday night after uh, the AEW show happened? Sabu was obviously there that night at the show. Uh, I think I saw a picture of you at the Nerd. Is that true? Yeah. Uh, so Katie went and met some friends, uh, and she went to the Double or Nothing, and then oh, nice. Yeah, she was in a suite with some friends, and then they took her down to the Nerd, and I went down there and picked her up, and, uh, and then we went where? Crazy Horse. Hey. Oh snap! <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I met up with Jerry at um, the Rancid concert right next door to Nerd Bar. Oh, wow. Punk Rock Bowling is yeah, a big had, deal. And I had yeah. a few friends that were in town just for that. The movie dude, I was working on set. Um, the, the director 
in LA after right after rapping, he drove all the way here for punk rock bowling. No way. Yeah. <laughs> now, did you participate? Were you guys, did you guys bowl? No. Yeah. I think like just the Rancid concert was a part of it. So. Yeah. Oh, I got you. Yeah, okay. There's like a whole bunch of events that were just a part of it. Yeah. And I just met up with Jerry Lynn there and then we partied at the nerd. Then Rob went, and I went and had our date night. It was a fun day. That sounds great. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys have a favorite spot on Fremont? I've been there several times, but I wanted to see if you guys had a certain. Well, it, it, the nerd nerd bar is really like the only place that that's like yeah. regular that we go to because uh, the owner Johnny is a is a good friend, and he knows all wrestlers. They even have wrestling at the nerd bar. You know, oh, I didn't know that. Did you go? You didn't go there, huh? I didn't go there. Not this time around. I didn't go to. Yeah, Fremont. they had a show there this weekend. At least one show. Um, in the courtyard. Uh, it's in an area on Fremont called Neonopolis. Okay. That's where when you drive through, there's like a one block this, that where the intersection is only for for walking through one way. You know, it's like blocked off um, on the walk. You know, well, that's Fremont Street. Anyway, where it's blocked yeah. off because people are walking. But anyway, uh, yeah, he he's uh, um, a good friend and, and uh, takes care of the wrestlers and, and everyone traditionally goes there. Willie Mack was there. Sabu was there and then left. Uh, I don't know. I guess there was a few of the guys there. But, yeah, we ended up talking to Jerry Lynn. People would say, oh, my God, both fucking shows. <laughs> How about that? You guys had similar shirts, too, I saw. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was funny. I didn't notice. You guys it. coordinate? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got to go back and look at the photo. Oh, it's yeah. funny. There's a guy, a fan posted a, two pictures of you guys side by side on Twitter. And it was like, oh, my God, they're wearing the same shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty funny stuff. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Sabu obviously was at Double or Nothing. And Katie, what did you think of the show, what you got to see and everything like that? It was fun. Yeah, I, w I went and I was backstage uh, seeing my friends. And then we went to the suite and watched. Sweet. Yeah, it was a good time. I, I liked the show. I thought so too. I liked it. Entrance. That was my favorite part. Which one? Jade's entrance when she came in. Oh my gosh. Yes. Pretty girls walk like this. And then she had the singer that sings that song with her and then the backup dancers. I just loved that. And she revealed too, that was all part of her old sorority. I think they were yeah. all part of that, which I thought was a really neat tie into all that. So yeah. Yeah. That was cool. I thought the show itself, yeah, was well-rounded and built out. Uh, good stories told and stuff. It was fun. It was a fun show to have be a part of and stuff and check out. Yeah. Um, how how did you guys feel about Sabu's appearance? Did he kind of clue you guys in at all with that, or like was he kind? Do you guys communicate like that, or do you guys kind of keep it like ah? Well, I, knew, I knew that he was going to be uh, debuting on Wednesday, and mm -hmm. then uh, and then after that, I guess I knew that he was going to be part of Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. Did, I couldn't believe he, he jumped through a table in a suit. That's what threw me. Yeah. 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 It was cool to seeing him in a suit. Like he looked like yeah, super looked professional. Classy. Yeah, that was classy. Totally good. Yeah. Awesome. That's cool. Yeah, it reminded cool. me of the Sheik. It reminded me of the yeah. Sheik. Yeah. When uh, when I was young and, and training, you know, Sheik really tried to push that on us to to dress up and and to represent the business, you know, and. Uh, to make the business look good by dressing classy, but I never, that never really clicked with me. And I never really, never really had anything nice to wear at the time when I was really young and he was telling me that, and, you know, I've only acquired anything since then by default. 
So, <laughs> oh, I look back in all the candid photos with of Sheik, like like I've seen on Twitter and stuff like that. He's oh, a sharp yeah. dresser, man. He yeah. was super sharp. Oh, yeah. yeah, it was cool seeing Sabu like that too. Nice. Yeah, it, I thought they presented him really well, uh, both on Dynamite and uh, at the show. So I thought that was cool. cool. Um, so overall, like what you've seen of AEW and everything like that, I think you you and Sa- guys like you and Sabu. We're going to get to the random match here tonight, but um, I think a lot of people in AEW could learn a lot from the style that you guys kind of wrestled in. Like, you do the cra- you do some of the crazy stuff, but uh, noticing the matches that you guys had in the past, it's like, wow, um, there's a lot of good pacing to telling it. When it's, some of it's a little bit faster paced in AEW, obviously, with how the wrestling goes, but I think a lot of people can learn a lot from you guys, you and Sabu. So. You mean from on hand? Or you mean just from watching our old shit? I think from a little bit of both. Like, uh, mostly a lot of what I was thinking about was on, uh, no, uh, from watching your guys' stuff, you know? And how I'm you sure. guys, yeah. <laughs> so, no, I thought, and like, like I said, that show itself was good. The main event I liked a lot, but yeah, it just made me note about when, because uh, the random match we're doing, I, I think I'm gonna, we're going to call it um, Rob Van Random is the matches for the week, maybe. Rob Van Random. Rob, what do you think of that? Is that good or is that too cheesy? Rob Randem. Rob, Rob Randem. I like that better. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. All right. So the match, uh, our, produ- our producer, our one helper, Chris, uh, he helped pick out. And it is. Chris. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. YouTube, Chris. Uh, ECW, Wrestlepalooza 1998. I know the match. Yes. You and Sabu going at it. At yes. of all. Atlanta. Oh, go ahead. This is in Atlanta. Um, so for ECW, that's a big deal because, you know, the further we travel from Philly, we're reaching fans that are out there because we, you know, the company hadn't been like on a national tour for years like WWE. So it's still a big deal to go somewhere and see how many uh, hardcore ECW fans have been staying up late at night to, to watch and to watch them imitate the fans in Philly and shit. You know, um, I remember Junkyard Dog was there. I was upset that New Jack punched him. Oh, shit. I didn't know that. Yeah. And I, and I don't know. I think allegedly, allegedly, J- JYD stiffed New Jack maybe 50 bucks for some Coke. Oh. But at the time, it was just a bunch of drama like New Jack often was. And he just kept saying, he come up on me. He come up on me. He come up on me. Like over and over and over and over again. He come up on me. <laughs> so, so that, became, that was an inside joke forever. I mean, whoever else was there could always say and know what we were talking about. But I was like, oh, man, you punched JYD? Maybe I don't know if I said it to him. I was probably like, he punched him? I, I was bummed because JYD was, you know. He was one of the OGs when I grew up watching him, and I thought, how disrespectful, but <laughs> I don't know what happened. Dude, I loved JYD as a kid. And, uh, like, um, did you uh, did you interact with him at all while you were there at WrestlePalooza and stuff, JYD? Um, I don't know if I did there, but I have before on the uh, indie shows when I wrestled around uh, Georgia in, in the areas. So I would have been 92, 93. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, no, JYD's always a standout. And like him able to do what he did, like in Mid South and Louisiana, all the pops he would get, he was hot, man. So, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Um, so, 
yeah, about it being in Georgia, like, how did Paul kind of plan that venue out in specific? Did he want it, like, obviously he wanted to expand from the Northeast and, and make it big, but that seemed like a, a wild one to kind of start with. I saw you guys well, in Florida beforehand and stuff. But. but we did some random shit, you know, we came, uh, I mean, at first it was just uh, all the little towns around Philly, you know, and, and New York, but then, uh, but then, you know, we were in uh, Florida. Um, I, did, I don't know if we came to Michigan, maybe. I don't know, but it, um, yeah, actually, we did come to Michigan, and um, uh, I don't know Georgia. I can't remember all the places. I know we went to Canada once. I saw Kissimmee, Florida. You guys went to yeah, um, sure, Fort Lauderdale. Yeah. I think was another one. Yeah, mm-hmm. we actually yeah we had some regular hunts there in uh, Fort Lauderdale and in uh, Kissimmee, and so um, that would that became like like something we would we would do every once in a while and so you know we were growing we were expanding and uh that was that was part of it yeah oh absolutely and the, the crowd was hot for you guys coming out to it too so it was pretty neat does it feel 25 years ago because it's over 25 years ago at this point may 3rd 1998 so it does bro it feels like yeah. it was that long ago long <laughs> ass time ago two things stick out in my mind from the actual match uh-huh uh one of them was my uh, 180 Van Daminator because that was one of those things where uh, it, the risk factor made it not worth keeping for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm, I'm sitting on the top rope in the corner and said, we went to do the uh, Hurricane Rana and I held on to the rope and, and embraced myself and boom, he bumped um, and he's laying down there below me. And I jumped up and spun around and and cleared the top rope, split my legs, boom, bounced back into the split-legged moonsault. And uh, and I was, uh, you know, I I, I don't know if I'd done that maybe once or twice else on TV, but uh, for the most part, that was something that I always thought that'd be cool to perfect, but it wasn't worth the risk factor of maybe fucking it up, so... Um, I didn't keep that like as a as a regular one. So that's something I remember was that it was cool just to show that I could do that. A lot of moves are like that, by the way, that I you, you can find footage of me doing them and, and someone's using it as a finish now. And it was something mm-hmm. that I only did once or twice or whatever um, because, uh, you know, I was exploring my uh, potential and boundaries of the laws of uh, gravity and everything back then. Why, you know, why wouldn't I? But the other thing I remember is Sabu throwing up. Yeah, (laughs) I had to double check. I was because I watched it like on my flight before my took my flight back to Vegas. Yeah, and I was like, top rope in the corner, and yeah, he's like laying over the apron, and he's like, I was like, did he just throw up? (laughs) A pay per view. Now, was he sick or was it just something happened that he caused him to throw up? What was going on? Do you know? I I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, I think he was sick going into it. Oh man, well, I think what was really neat is kind of the story that laid out a bit about this was like um there was who was bill alfonso siding with and he was managing both of you guys at the same time and then you guys get into the ring uh you have the crooked ref jeff jones in there and then uh on top of that once the bell rings you guys do some pretty cool stuff starting off like a little bit of razzmatazz and then like you get on the mic and you're like, you really think I'm going to attack my, my tag partner here? He's like, we you made a plan all this time. And and like, so you're like getting in on the deal and ready to for him to, you know, uh, do his uh, uh, split his pose. Uh, yeah, the pose. And then like leap onto you and attack uh, Jeff Jones. And then he kicks you. And uh-huh. so 
I thought it was a good build to all that stuff and set it set it up really nicely for like, oh hey, they're gonna have a match. Um, but it was kind of neat because even after all that stuff, you guys still are friends, like from the story perspective of it. Uh, tension, obviously, but it was there, you know. Um, how, talk about um, how that kind of like tagging with Sabu in general. Did you prefer him as an opponent, or did you kind of like tagging with him more so? Um, I guess tagging with them, you know, I mean, he's my favorite guy to, to work with, but tagging with them because, you know, we're, cause we're brothers and there's n nobody else in the business that I feel that like that about, you know what I mean? Like to that, to that degree where, you know, I would want to protect him uh, and it's organic. And, uh, and I really liked doing the interviews uh, when he, when I would just try and like push him back, you know, and make it all about me and he'd get, he'd get mad and I would just, you know, like manipulate his energy or whatever. Cause that was a, it was a really good, uh, uh, good chemistry, good matchup, you know, and um, it was a lot of fun. So I missed that too. And also though, you know, we were so like-minded that um, it, it would be cool to, we, we would both, it was advantageous for us to be partners because we would both know where we're at in the match, you know, and, 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 and where we want it to go and uh, where it should go according to our opinion, just, just being on the same page uh, more than with more, most people, I guess. Yeah, no. And like, you could definitely tell the chemistry with you guys, even like just in that match going against one another. And I think what was neat too, is the different kind of body language you both had, like, Sabu either looked frustrated or conflicted a lot, like throughout the story. And then you were just like living the life kind of deal and being like, all right, we're a tag team, but we're, we're yeah, we got a ploy going on here. And even after that, you're still like confident enough, like, oh yeah, I'll still fight Sabu and we'll still be all right afterwards, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it out really well like that, I thought. Um, for uh, listeners that kind of aren't aware of like you and Sabu's relationship, how, how did it kind of, how did you guys kind of start out with the Sheik and all that stuff? Can you just give a little basic background? We'll get into Sabu more, I'm sure down the road, but just as a basic kind of outline for people. Yeah. Um, so I'm bagging groceries at a grocery store, at Main Street Market, and uh, saving money to go to wrestling school, uh, I think I'm going to go to Boston Killer Kowalski school at this time. Oh. And this, this big 300 and some pound power lifter comes through and we start talking and I befriended him, uh, told him I'm going to be a wrestler. You know, I wish I had his size. And uh, he tells me that he's wrestling. I had no idea there was such a thing as like indies, you know, in a whole independent circuit. I had no idea, no idea. And anyway, uh, he was doing a little bit of that and he was working out uh, with the, with the Sheik and uh, he ended up introducing me to the Sheik, talking to him about me and then bringing me in one time. And so uh, when I met the Sheik, the, it was in the middle of the winter in Michigan. So very cold, snowy lot, and, and Sheik's son, Tom, had I think it was, he had a garage that was uh, uh, that they had the ring in, and the ring was cut in half. <laughs> and so yeah, so it was eight feet by sixteen feet. Uh -huh. Wow! Wow! Yeah, and uh, and it was so they could squeeze it in there. And <clears throat> uh, the sheik, uh, he, he you know told me to go in the ring and to uh, show him 
all this stuff I could do because I said I'm acrobatic and I'm a martial artist. I do kicks and flips and splits and whatever. And so he's like, show me. And I'd be boom, 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 do a cartwheel, a spin kick. You know, what else you got? And I'd say, oh, all right, I'd do a nip up, you know, and, and do a fucking split. But right, what else you got? And I'd do a backflip off the rope. Eventually I ran out of shit, you know. He's, he's, he's like, he's like, okay. You know, I didn't know how good I, if I was doing good or bad. I had no idea. I'm like, um, I can do this. And I would jump, you know. And he says, okay. He goes, and he says, uh, Terry, get in there. And um, he, this dude gets in, um, hippie-looking, big, bushy, <laughs> long, big hair, yeah. um, skinny little legs. And he gets, he comes at me, and he just, bam, he, like, locked up with me. And he started, like, pushing me and, and pulling me and pushing and pulling and jerking me around. And so, like, I'm... So, so like I'm like uh, balancing with him. I started like countering and struggling and trying to offset his attack. And I don't really understand what I'm supposed to be doing, mm -hmm. um, but he's testing me, you know, obviously for balance, coordination, all kinds of things. And, uh, um, and then he started like arm dragging me and I was like, wow, he's, he had one of the most beautiful arm drags. And I was like, I had all of a sudden I was like, okay, this guy knows what he's doing. Yeah, That was awesome. And um, and that was uh, that was Sabu. And so Sabu and I would be in the ring uh, working out and uh, there was uh, eventually Dango came along. Tom was the big guy that introduced us. Mm -hmm. That was mostly it. Judge Dredd was around um, sometimes and that would be Sabu. And then like, what's that? Four of us. So it wasn't like a school or even a class. It was like real intimate, like 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 family, like getting together, like, and uh, Sheik almost never actually got in the ring. Once in a while he would, but he was already like, I think in his seventies at that time, he acted like it. And, um, and it was mostly Sabu in the ring with us. And uh, Sheik, when she gave him the name, he didn't like it at first. Yeah. Um, it was, but it was Sabu the elephant boy is what he wanted him to go by. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so when did he give him the name? Uh, so shortly, just shortly after I um, came aboard and I joined the family, Sabu had been around the Sheik for uh, about six years before that. And he carried his bags and he would work on the card, you know, and uh, help him out, be his young boy. Um, and then shortly after I came along and gave him that gimmick. Uh, and then um, we went in 91 because that was December of 89 was when I walked into that garage the first time, December, wow. December of 89. And then in, uh, in 91, we went to Tennessee. That was our first territory where you're on that loop. And um, they, they fucked up and called him Samu, S-A-M-U. So <laughs> we got to be a kick out of that. Yeah. <laughs> so it was in between there. So I guess it was 90 that he got that name. Well, how about that? Like, uh, I, I got to ask, too, because I noticed in the first sequence of this match, too, in particular, you guys were doing a little bit of mat work and stuff like that. Like, was that something that uh, the Sheik kind of instilled in Sabu and you guys a little bit when you started off? Because, like, it looked like, man, Sabu almost what, how I felt, too, was like, I'm so used to Sabu doing all the crazy and wild stuff. But, like, yeah. it looked like Sabu could actually green, like, wrestle. Yeah, Sabu yeah. can actually wrestle and he did wrestle in school. Yeah, OK. Yeah, it's. I could definitely notice that. I definitely noticed that at the beginning of the match and everything. Um, yeah, one time, one time me and Dango um, were getting on his nerves when the three of us were training. And uh, 
And so he was, I can't remember what the argument was over, but he told us that he would pin us both. Uh, and he did. Did he? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I got winded. I remember I was so winded, <sighs> so blown up, you know, and being young and, and I probably tried to play it off. Like, well, I was laughing too hard or something like that. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He did. <laughs> he got you. He got you. Um, so was it always the plan too for you guys to kind of build to this story kind of thing? Cause it like even beforehand, you, uh, the, this match was promoted as uh bam, bam, uh, going against Sabu initially. And then you won the title from the month before. And then it came into that. You guys are going was Paul had this kind of in the back of his mind that he wanted you guys to kind of go out one-on-one with one another a lot more. You'd have to ask Paul. I really okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I was curious about that. Um, Talk about Bill Alfonso a little bit. How was he for you guys both as a team? And then uh, initially, did he do some kind of like a lot of help backstage with you guys as well, too? Yeah, yeah. Fonzie, uh, we we really uh, loved working with Fonzie. Uh, and he took his job really serious, too. So he's really just the manager uh, on TV. But be- he's happy to have that gig and to be working with the main eventers. And so... So in reality, he's busting his ass, you know, trying to show us that he's happy to, 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 to be there and take care of us. So he would like, uh, when he would get to the hotel first and uh, and try and make sure that I get like a, you know, the biggest room possible. Really? Stuff <laughs> like that. Yeah, yeah. He would he would always do something like that. He would try and take care of us, and he was uh, he has like nonstop energy. So he's always like on the go, 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 like. He needs to wake up at 8 a.m. and start doing jumping jacks and stuff. And he's just he's so he's so wired that way. Um, envious a little bit because I don't have <laughs> nearly that much energy. But uh, but uh, we I, I knew right away, you know, he was that he was uh, family, you know. And so, like, he was always there with us when we were uh, traveling, when we were partying uh, and when we were doing our business in the ring. Yeah. And he I think. As a younger kid watching it too, I just remember being like, "Oh man!" Like he's like it would get he would be noxious to the point where it'd be like, "Oh, like kind of balancing it out a little bit." Where like you know you're likable, Sabu's likable because of the style, but then he's like kind of all right. That Bill Alfonso's like fucking, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah, people would always bitch about the whistle. How could you stand that annoying whistle? I would just get used to it, I guess, and like I wouldn't even I wouldn't even notice it unless it was right in my ear, which once in a while he would do that. And <laughs> I made the match more funny because I'd grab him by his shirt or something. He would always do stuff like that. Sometimes I'd be laying on my back, um, taking a breather, <laughs> you know, after getting kicked or something, and, and then he would like pour water down my throat, and I wouldn't even see it coming. And I'm like, <laughs> I'd be like choking, like, dude, you're killing me, and. Um, stuff like that like i say it was organic it just happened all the time it was made it a lot of fun well even the dynamic in this match too it was kind of neat because you would want him to do shit for you like he'll hold the chair while you guys were fighting on the the guardrail and like he doesn't do it you're like what the fuck and you're like kind of like interacting with him then and he's like playing both sides of the field in a lot of ways like you know oh i'm on rob's team now i'm on sabu's team this is like very neat dynamic that's when it came into my dressing room when we tried to get it all smoked up so you could like wave it off before the matches yeah it's good stuff um something i really liked about this aspect not only the, the crazy shit that you guys did and everything like that but i thought like the added bits of humor that you guys did like after the match 
as well as like what you did during the match. For you in specific, you did like, okay, the ch- you did something with the chair and the chair was kind of, and Sabu was laying down and then you casually kicked the chair out of the way and then you casually hit your an elbow drop for a pin, like a, a nonchalant pin attempt. I thought, that, <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. And then when you climbed up top, you tested the air like the wind. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Little subtleties like that I thought was pretty fun. Um, how, when did you kind of get to that point where you're like, I'm going to incorporate some like kind of funny shit in the ring? Did, was there a moment where you started to feel more confident in being able to do that, do you think? I think it was probably right around then, around 97, uh, you know, working as a heel with ECW. I came in in 96 of January and I came in as a heel, but, you know, looking at that guy, I mean, I was a baby, like so green. And then uh, getting over, working with Sabu, and then uh, staying over, you know, and then feeling like I was actually building and earning some clout. Um, it, 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 the, a, a byproduct of that is confidence, you know, and then that allows you to go ahead and make some uh, brave decisions and be committed to um, a certain ideology that you wouldn't necessarily have the balls to commit to. So yeah. it was right around then, 97, 98. And when I beat Bam Bam for the uh, championship, that was just a whole new level. The fans treated me like I was somebody different then, like like I was on a superstar level that I never had been on before. And thank God I never climbed down from uh, either. But it was just that one night was huge, huge difference in the amount of uh, – respect and um and and just placement that i felt in the in the industry my value went through the roof as jr indicated too later on (laughs) you know Uh, um i thought it was really neat too like the crowd reaction to you and like you could tell like you were feeling confident now all that throughout all that stuff because i mean throughout the like when you're walking in the ring you're talking trash to the camera you're doing all that kind of stuff it was just really neat added aspects like like that, that's why rvd so damn cool <laughs> so it's a lot of that yeah. so, um, yeah. i was always a lot more comfortable in ecw than i was with wwe and you know it's a shame that i couldn't get really comfortable but it just felt like so many people wanted me to do things that were so different than what i thought was right i think that was like a big part of it and it was I don't know. There was always just the whole company had a way of keeping you very humble, but you know, lots of different ways. Um, and and so my own uh, image of self value wasn't, hey, I'm the whole effing show here. You know, it was more like, hey, how come I don't have a cardboard cut out at the airport? You know, yeah. it, it was, and so there was a lot of it was that until we brought the ECW back in WWE, and then I'm sure, boom, you saw that change. All mm-hmm. of a sudden, I was like, "Fuck yes, now I can be me again." But it wasn't intentional. I wanted to feel comfortable, but it was, you know, it was hard. It was, it was a pretty rigid fit. Well, I kind of think too. Not only did you have to worry about like politics and the mind games or certain aspects like that that went into play, but then the structure of how WWE was probably, you know, there, you know, and how you know Vince and that all set up, and it's just a different vibe altogether, and you know, just a bigger environment too, which is, I if I know from a creative aspect, it throws anybody off, you know, if you're in that kind of element where you're having to worry about all the other outside bullshit and stuff too. So, yeah, yeah, but uh, so ECW around 98, 
and then moving forward, you know, I felt like uh, my efforts were more and more important and paid off bigger and bigger, which was just, just great. Cause that inspired me to, to work harder and harder. And so that's why that was like one of the most uh, fun runs of, of my career was the TV championship and seeing the, the, the actual attendance and interest build with everything that we're doing. That was awesome. Now, did you like that Georgia crowd when you were there? Do you remember how, how the reaction and all that stuff came through it? Um, Yes. I mean, I don't remember specifically the anything that, that, that night, but I mean, that was not new to me. I had been through Georgia and I think I wrestled in every town in Georgia, you know, prior to this, I came to, let me see, 91, 90, in 92, I, I moved to, um, Augusta, Georgia in 92. Oh, okay. and that, yeah. And I wrestled all over every little town in Georgia and the Carolinas. And then I moved to Savannah, um, which, you know, was just to be on the coast, but I was still working the same territory. And it was, I did so many fundraisers um, and I was uh, partners with Greg Price. We were actually running shows and he would book these buildings and fundraisers and it'd be in uh, uh, Baxley and uh, Alma and, uh, of course, Ben Masters down in Cordial City in uh, South Atlanta. That's a big uh, where, uh, where where we found Dan Masters yesterday. He would have been forty one, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think we should do a live show and talk about him. He had uh, he was around, and then all of a sudden, he no, he, no one really knows what happened. And I have so many pictures. People remember him, and he was he knew everybody, wow. and uh, crazy crazy death that he had that. Uh, uh, I think that, yeah, I think we should, uh, sometimes I'll talk to you about that, but yeah, maybe, yeah I want to do a, a show on it, but definitely throw me in on it. Cause I'd, I'd love to do something like that for sure. So he was from America's Georgia, which was right down there, um, like Cordell city. But, uh, yeah, dude, I ran like, that was, um, Valparaiso. So well, that's Indiana. What was it Valdosta, Georgia? I could name, uh, so many. And then, and then in WCW in, uh, 90 at the end of 92, beginning of 93 um again that was georgia again you know hitting all those same towns that uh that i had hit going up as high as tennessee and stuff like that but uh a lot of georgia and the carolinas and things that were 300 mile uh, radius uh of atlanta <laughs> well i think paulie too at uh, uh this particular event he built it as like enemy territory too because of wcw uh, and that stuff so it does yeah. make sense. Um, just Sabu from like overall. I mean, I, he doesn't get the credit he's deserved. I think in wrestling, a lot of the ways. I think you know, it's he's done so much and like, you know, really pioneered a lot of the styles and you know the identity of ECW too in a lot of ways. And I, you, like, do you kind of agree with that statement? Do you oh, think? there's no question about it. Yeah. I remember. I remember when he was the only one breaking tables, and he used to be trying to stop other people from doing it. Like those. Um, uh, the guys that went nah, 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 nah. Oh, public enemy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they, uh, he would tell me that anytime he wasn't on a show, because he'd be on every ECW show, but he was working for New Japan at the time. So sometimes he'd miss a show, and he said every time he wasn't on a show, public enemy would break a table, and it would get him hot because uh, he said everyone was stealing it. Like that was like his thing, you know. And at first, 
he would just get it in. Like if he lost the match, he would punish himself by jumping through a table and then, and then like, you know, selling it and rolling. And that's great for his character. Cause he just reminds me of uh one time, <laughs> one time uh, he told me this, this is a second hand story. I think mm-hmm. this, this was pre RVD. I think just, around that time when Sheik was his assistant, he did something that made Sheik mad one time in the dressing room Uh and Sheik was sitting down and he said, Hey, come over here, come over here. And he said, lay down so I can kick you. (laughs) He did. So I laid down so he could kick him. (laughs) That makes me think that maybe that was in his mind when he would punish himself by going through the table after he lost the match and stuff. That's great. You know, he mentioned too that he would intentionally sometimes miss table spots because yeah, he wanted totally. the dirt sheets to think he was crazy. You know, yeah. like he yeah. wanted to blur the lines. Yeah, he would. And, yeah, he would do that, and he would tell me he's going to do it. And then I would see the write up, and they would be criticizing him, saying that he missed a bunch of spots um, because it was so different. It wouldn't even it wouldn't fit in. And the only reason to do it would be, hey, that would happen. Yeah. Yeah. That mm-hmm. would happen sometimes. It wouldn't. Everything wouldn't be perfect. That would happen sometimes. So we should do it. It was like, yeah, yeah you know. But everyone's gonna think he fucked up. So he would do that for no reason. Like, boom, set me up, chair, top rope. He would slip and like fall to the floor, and like, and everyone would be like, "What just happened?" You know. And he wanted. Uh, he was. He wanted it, that realism and, and wanted to work the people into in the moment so much that, you know, sacrificed uh, some of his credibility with certain uh marks marks and stuff yeah playing into it ah, that's yeah. so good. i love that <laughs> well, yeah. yeah well um yeah obviously you know how great would it be to see him in the hall of fame next year for WWE yeah. philly i mean that would be like great. match made in heaven for you you know if anybody should go in for ecw it's like and, uh, you're already in obviously but you know sabu's number one too <laughs> yeah yeah uh yeah hopefully he would yeah Sometimes when he does interviews and stuff, you know, he's his own worst enemies. And uh, so he's uh, he's, he, he's got to have a good positive energy run for a while to make up for <laughs> for sometimes for sometimes when he was really kind of burying himself. That's the best way to put it. Yeah, he, you know, it's like you look just looking back at his, you know, the trajectory of his career and stuff like that. It's just like, man, as I get older as a wrestling fan and like being like, wow, yeah, he's had such a huge influence. So, yeah, it's yeah, kind of cool. We get to talk, we get to talk about him here and then like, you know, he was just doing the thing for AEW. So I think it was, it's great to kind of, yeah. buddy, you know, <laughs> I, I, I feel like like the original Sheik taught Sabu and I both to really be original Mm -hmm. Uh, especially early in my career people would ask about the difference in style how could the i or the original chic uh have trained you when you're a high flyer doing these flips and and he's so grounded and grab them and stab them and uh and i i said the psychology like he taught us all to believe in what we're doing to believe in every moment we we're in there we're committed to to that moment and it's something that unfortunately i see lacking nowadays and i mean i could i wouldn't care to explain it to the public you know but i could explain it to the to the wrestlers for sure Uh, you know but um that's 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 one thing i think that 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 she that um sabu and i both i think even though our styles were were different 
and I was a kickboxer, you know, when I met him. So I brought that, uh, and he didn't do flips or anything like that. You know, I taught him how to do a backflip and, uh, oh, really? yeah. And he was, yeah, he taught me how to do everything else, how to wrestle. Um, but uh, I, I feel like we both really got that from the Sheik about being original, standing out, not taking after somebody, uh, and uh, making our own spot instead of trying to take someone's spot, and um, and doing it the right way, you know, doing mm -hmm. it with the right with the right foundation, the right mindset so that you're not doing something that's never been done before because it's so stupid no, or dangerous that nobody would fucking want to do it anyway. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Now I think too, it really speaks to the knowledge of the sheik because he's showing like, Hey, originality is important. And like, not only that, but he was a forward thinker and being like, well, you guys are innovative and do your own kind of like, you know, have your own style and stuff like that. It might not have been what the sheik did in the ring in certain ways, but like he was, had the forethought to be like, you guys have it. And that makes you guys stand out and unique. You know, um, and he was pretty big at embracing, like having you embrace a lot of the stuff. He didn't like kind of put he was not never like kind of like, oh, don't do that kind of shit, but do this a little bit more. Or what did he kind of find the balance for you guys a little bit? Um, when I think about the, the actual training days, you know, we weren't we weren't doing like, hey, I want to do a sunset flip over the top rope and power bomb you to the floor. You know, right. we were doing that stuff in front of him anyway. Um, so with him, it was about wrestling. It was about grabbing. It was, it was about trying to beat them. Like that's, that's in our mindset behind the whole time, the whole match. And it doesn't leave. Even if we're pausing because of our, our plan of attack, we don't forget that we're trying to beat him. You know, that would be something he would drill in us. Like, what are you doing? Cover him. He's laying on his back. You know, yeah, yeah. There, was, there was a lot of that. Uh, but it was always with Sheik. It was always about being rougher, you know, squeeze him harder, you know, grab him and bring him in closer to your body. And, and uh, as far as moves, it was, it was basically um, a lot of it was just about uh, the uh, headlock, a go behind uh, the arm bars, that was a, that was a big part of it was just always having that to go back to, to uh, you can, you can grab that from anywhere that you're at, you know, maybe a sit out in a leg sweep, but uh, there was certain moves that that was, he wanted us to have down. So no matter what, if we were lost, we could always grab an arm bar. Right. And, yeah. uh, and that was, that was uh, kind of the, the nucleus of, of his training. Man, I'm like so fascinated by him. Like, <laughs> I'm like looking forward to continuing this, like getting more details about him. So, uh, I want to pace it out over time. <laughs> this is good shit. Um, that, did you happen to, I don't know, read the audio book or, or the book that they, just came out about him with Brian Solomon? Yeah, I, I wrote the forward for it. Oh, no shit. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah, but I haven't finished the book yet. And it's so good. And I, and I want to, I feel bad that I haven't written Brian and told him good job yet, but I want to wait till I'm done. Yeah. But it's like, it's so lengthy and it, and, and it's so informative that uh, every once in a while I take a break from it. And then I, and I'll read like two or three books at the same time, you know, like I'm reading about uh, right now, I'm almost done with uh, the book that Henry Hill's kids wrote about being on the run in the witness protection program. Really? And so, so like I'll read through that, you know, and then I'll, I'll go back and forth sometimes, you know, and, you know, let me go back to the uh, Constitution for Dummies, you know, but um, <laughs> it depends on what kind of mood I'm in or whatever with reading it. And it's like, it's so, that one's not a, a quick read. Let me put no, it that it's way. It's a big book. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a big book. Very good, very informative, and he did do a great job. And I am going to tell him that, but I want to, I want to get through it, you know. And I'm learning all kinds of stuff about Sheik's career that I didn't know, and some of the stuff is interesting because I can, I can see uh, some of the ways that he did things, you know, that 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 he passed on to me. That's awesome. I yeah. know. Well, it's definitely on my reading list too. And maybe we can get Brian on here to one of these shows too. And yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah, that's a good one. All right. So that does it for the wrestling stuff. I One of my favorite segments, I'm learning uh, always an education here on one of a kind. It's uh, Guess the Gangster segment. Um, okay. So I think I got a good one, a good balance here. Uh, maybe you will be like, no, this, this is a layup. Uh, but I'm kind of curious of what, where you're going to fall out on this one. <laughs> yeah, me, me too. Let's All right. See. All right. You ready? Here it is. Okay. Boom. <sighs> Born on November 17th, 1899 in Italy. The older brother of another Gambino member of the family. He okay. limped due to a hip fracture. Specialized in narcotics, particularly heroin, I looked at. And he did some cocaine run-in run too, I believe. And then he was an early pioneer in the drug trade at the end of Prohibition. And he was also, I don't think he was from what I heard, but he was rumored to be one of the killers of Ali Anastasia, the guy we did last week. So do you know who he is? older brother and i believe his the the younger brother was more famous than he was and it, it seemed like he the other guy was a pretty notorious name well it's not, it's definitely not an easy one um uh he died in 1961 no I, he was 61 when he died so, and then his brother lived to be uh, it to all the way till 1992, actually. Oh, no shit. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Like, that's amazing. These guys that were born before the turn of the century and lived through all of this, still being alive in our lifetime. How wild is that, too? It's like, geez, yeah. I was seven in 92. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that guy, the dude still was still kicking them. Um, um, think- yeah, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think I'm. Oh, I don't know. Do you have more clues? That's all that I got. I'm yeah. trying to think uh, offhand if I thought of a hip, due to a hip fracture. No, Gus Morella had the clutch hand. Uh, lip due to a hip. He fracture. had a he had a pretty good nickname. Uh, it was named after a street. <laughs> if I, that's my other probably only other hint I can give you. Yeah, I don't. I tap. Okay. Stefano, 14th Street, Steve Armani. Armand. Okay. He's Joe Joe Piney, Armand's Yes, brother. exactly. Joe Piney's brother. Mm-hmm. Got you. Yeah. No, that's a good one. Yeah, I wouldn't uh, – I'm not going, oh, I should have known that because <laughs> I, I wouldn't know because he's, you know, not a main – not – yeah, not a main – And Joe Piney, he was, he was a capo. Wasn't he a capo? He or was a... also um, consigliere. Oh, uh, I think you're right, yeah. Yeah, and um, he – believe when they went into whack Castellano, Joe Piney said that um, he wasn't going to vote either way. He, was, he wasn't going to get in their way, but he wasn't going to vote on it either way. So when uh, Gotti took over, I think they put him on the shelf, Joe Piney, and then, uh, you know, made Sammy the bull, uh, well, the underboss, and then eventually, allegedly, consigliere. But I think that's what happened with Joe Piney was when uh, – I think he was the uh, consigliere during uh, 
during Castellano's run, and then when Castellano got whacked because he didn't vote on whacking Castellano, I think they uh, put him on the shelf, gave him a break, and then um, and then who was consigli- who was John's guy that um, uh, that blew him up uh, in the car bomb? Um, no. Uh, De Chico, Frank De Chico. Was that was that a character too in the um, the Irishman? Was it was did they describe him in the Irishman at all? Do you remember? No, Frank De Chico. Yeah. I mean, no, I don't think so. I don't. Okay. I don't. Yeah, I don't think they crossed paths. Okay, I was trying to think of that. Frankie Cheech. Um, yeah, but who's the one that went down with them? Uh, who went to jail with them? Because uh, I got him mixed up with someone else. Uh, <laughs> Oh, hmm. Yeah. The brain teaser. <laughs> yeah. Trying to think of who went, who went, like Sammy has all these story, stories about him and the other guy, like when they went to jail, how they were going to turn on Gotti and, and, and kill him, and then they take over. And um, I'm blanking on that guy's name. Uh, but he was, he was the consigliere. Uh, after, I think after Joe Piney. How about that? <sighs> <laughs> You're gonna remember, but when we're done, that's what's gonna happen. Yeah. It'll hit. It'll hit you when we're done. You'll be like, "Damn it!" You wake up in the middle of the night. I'll just space out, pretend I'm listening to you while I'm going through the alphabet in my head. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, before we get to uh, the, one of my favorite segments of the show, our videology, we do have a couple of fan questions I got. Cool. Yeah, let's see if I can find where it is in my notes here. Oh, here we go. All right. So, uh, yeah, we're going to have to do a segment out of this episode, too, I think. Uh, uh, Peter asks here, where did your love of ghostwriters stem from, and are you still reading? Well, uh Ghost Rider was the first comic book I can remember picking up, actually. Um, Ghost Rider number 28, Evil is the Orb. And uh, I used to like going to the store with my mom. And when she would shop, I would look at the comic books. And I remember reading uh, Savage Sword of Conan. It was mm-hmm. so violent because he'd take a sword and put it like right through somebody's face, you know. And uh, it also had some tits and ass in it. It was like a, th- a big magazine size comic and uh, i used to love that and uh ghost rider i think the first one i bought i think might have been that ghost rider number 28 and i just um i i really liked his character and it was cool that other kids at school didn't know about him like the other comic book nerds liked wolverine the x-men and they didn't know much about ghost rider so i felt like he was like more mine and and he was supernatural so his powers were like you know limitless unmeasurable and and uh and i just really enjoyed the uh, the storyline and uh so when i was really hard into collecting the nothing to make my day like being in a random comic store on the road or flea market or something and pulling out a comic that fills a spot, you know, like yeah. I needed number 78, the nightmare, <laughs> you know, yeah, the nightmare. And it, it, and it was, it was, it was really cool. Now it seems like collecting would be so easy being able to get online. I could just buy whatever I don't have. It seems like, so I don't see the thrill of it. And I uh, know I don't read uh, anymore like uh, um, ghost rider, 
um, I had like a whole collection of Ghost Rider at my other house that was like everything that was made with with his trademark, I would buy it. So I had every statue I knew of, every action figure and T-shirts and even a bunch of random, random shit, you know, whether it was like a bottle opener, pocket knife, uh, anything, anything. I had two display cases full of it because I was a hardcore collector. And when I got uh, divorced and then I moved, I decided that that wasn't going to be part of this next chapter in my life because um, I, I went through this uh, uh, rock bottom uh, uh, period where I was scraping my face on the ground and, and I had to build myself back together. And I just decided to leave that part out of the new building blocks. And I just decided, you know what? I'm going on into my later, later part of my 40s and whatever. I think I'm going to leave this shit behind. And I did. I just left all of it. So now uh, I just collect RVD. Hey, there you go. You know, yeah. what do you think of the Ghost Rider movie? Nick Cage. Um, I was stoked that they did it, that they mm-hmm. did a Ghost Rider movie. You know, I mean, I could critique it because I liked I liked it when he was portrayed more as a darker character you know this hell spawn originally he used to fight satan in the that's first- right yeah mm-hmm. yeah like member nine is satan on the cover and it's like uh um eventually and, and the son of satan was a character in marvel not really politically correct but probably but uh, eventually they made it so that it was Mephisto. Mephisto, that was it. Yeah. yeah. Pretending he was Satan, you know, and it was like, but it was still cool. I really like, I enjoyed the supernatural aspect of uh, of his whole adventures. I think nowadays too, that they've done like Daredevil on Netflix and they did the Punisher and that made a more like extreme darker versions. Yeah. Like they could yeah. definitely do a good one of Johnny Blaze for sure. Didn't they do something where he was a race car driver or something? Um, I thought I saw one. like in one of the the shows. I can't remember if he had his I'll own. I'll have to look that up because yeah. I'd be intrigued to see that. You know, it was I used a to... different human host. You know, like this. That's the idea was that the 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 spirit Zarathos was the original Ghost Rider spirit. He was put in a human host as punishment, and then uh, throughout the years, transferred from human to human, and uh, having this. This, this life where in his memory was erased and all this shit. So the whole long-term story was him regaining himself and learning about his former self. And I was just so into it. I loved it. I loved the people he would fight when it was like uh circus of freaks and uh, um, nightmare. Of course, some of his and Spidey's opponents too. He fought them too. Mysterio. And yeah. anybody. I like it when he would fight Spidey. I like it when they would all fight each other, but there was, there was always a way that, like, because he's supernatural, there's always a way he could do something that, that we could be like, oh, well, I didn't know he could do that, you mm-hmm. know? Fuck, dude. You want me to go? <laughs> I've got graphic novels over here. i got to get some uh, <laughs> Ghost Rider now. <laughs> I, it's cool, too, that it was like he was an outside kind of character, too, that, like, yeah, you could kind of relate to and be like, all right, this is my guy in particular. I was I, I liked X-Men. I was a big X-Men fan, and Gambit was my guy. So everybody liked Wolverine, like you were saying. So I was like, oh, Gambit's pretty cool, you know? He's, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it kind of balanced out. So I feel that for sure, man. Um, okay. Uh, Cameron Otoku asks, is cannabis helping you for your pain after all these years working as a wrestler? Or- uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It helps. Um, it doesn't take away pain. 
like uh, narcotics will actually like take it away and I'll forget, you know, like, oh yeah, I forgot that my elbow was hurting me, you know, for the last three hours because I, you know, took a, a Norco or something mm-hmm. with, with uh, cannabis. It's more like um, it allows me to cope with it. So if something's uh, bothering me, um, and then I use cannabis, it might not bother me anymore. Like it'll still, I'll be, I, I will still be mentally connected to it and still be aware that it doesn't have as much movement or I can feel sometimes maybe the area is inflamed, like swollen or whatever, but I, but I'm more like, Oh yeah, that's right. You know, and it's not a big deal. So it makes it okay. Like, uh, just like with a lot of things in life, uh, cannabis really does a lot for coping. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm an obviously I'm a novice at all, all that stuff. Is there like a certain strain that kind of helps, or how would you go about like recommending something like a, a particular? I yeah, guess. I, yeah. So um, it, basically, the the rule of thumb is that uh, indica is uh, sh- a, a, a stronger kind of high that will numb you more. It's better for pain it's also better for uh like maybe stomach problems uh and and, but it can make you sleepy you know which it's also good for helping you sleep and then a sativa is is usually uh it's considered like more of a of a functioning bud and um you know they they say it can inspire creativity and give you energy and make you feel good um and, and so mostly like i will keep that in mind like i don't like weed that i smoke and i just want to nap all day right right you know? um and even as much uh, even if i smoke a lot i will still come across some that does that like that's just it's too it's too heavy of an indica for me so i but if if i was hurt especially if i was recovering from surgery or something i would just be like just give me indicas you know what i mean i'm in bed recuperating i just want to numb uh, as much as I can and, uh, and not feel it and rest. So everything has its place with, with that, with timing and, and what, and what you're looking for. But most, uh, most, most strains seem to be like a, a hybrid. And so, you know, uh, usually for, for functioning and keeping, um, ahead of the pain so that it's not bothersome, like a good, uh, sativa dominant hybrid is something, you know, that'll, uh, keep me surfing through the day. Um, especially if I don't have like an injury that's really standing out. Yeah. So just like minor, like pains or whatever kind of thing. Yes, man, it's in my back. Yeah. Plane rides beat me up more than matches. And I've said that for my whole career. Like sometimes I'll have a match, a 20 minute match, go all over the arena. And that night I'm like, man, I feel really good. You know, I feel good out there. I feel great. Now, by the time I only get two hours sleep and then I got to ride an airplane and sleep like this, you know, for a couple hours. And then sometimes I have a connection and I have to fucking walk across an airport and get on another plane and do the same thing again. You know, by the time I get home, I'm usually pretty stiff that day. And I've always said that it's the plane ride that beats me up more than, uh, than the actual matches. And they're, <laughs> and they're made like the way they curve, they kind of curve in Yeah, like the shoulders actually come in and it's like, I'm shaped the opposite. I have like an extreme curvature of my back that's, uh, um, you know, contradictive to being comfortable and, and something like that. I got to put like a big pillow behind my back and that's my only hope. <laughs> that's, that was me fucking riding home from on spirit this past time. <laughs> headrest right. too. Like even in cars, I always wonder like, why do they have the headrest like come in like that? Right. 
You know, like I want to like straighten it out. If anything, maybe bend it back. Yeah, right. I'm not like gonna. Uh, I don't know who does that. Who puts their head back against the headrest and just decides that's comfortable when they're driving? I don't know, but um, I when it's leaning forward, I'm like, hey, who, hey, can I someone do something about this headrest? You know, in a car or on an airplane? Like, fuck, dude, how am I gonna be comfortable like this? Holy shit! <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. All right, last question. Uh, it's from the guy who helps curate this uh, Instagram wrestling historian. He asked, the dirt sheet said it was going to be you versus Rey Mysterio at WrestleMania 21 before your knee injury. Is that true? And if so, do you know who was going to go over? It sounds like an, almost an Ask Vince question, but do you know anything, Rom? Ask, ask Vince. I really don't. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't know if that was going to be the match or, or what. So, yeah, I, I don't know on all of that. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Fair enough. All right. It is time for RVDology. Uh, Rob, what I learned from your last week's yes. last recording, I made a conscious effort to kind of just support other people as, as it went on, um, nice. especially yeah. being on social media and things like that. Sometimes you see things get tweeted out and you're like, oh, I could like that. Or, you know, and sometimes you just drag, scroll on through. And, but this time I was just like, you know, somebody's trying to get their word out about something. Right. Or, you know, whatever. And so, yeah, I'll like it. Or uh, I think there was a YouTube video, too. I, I thought about this before we recorded. I was like, there was a YouTube Spark video. I got them. Say what? Spark them if you got them. Right? Exactly. Oh, yes. Yeah, light them up if you got them, for sure. Um, listeners. Yes. But um, I remember, too, being like, oh, they got me. Because it was kind of like one that was almost clickbaity. And I clicked on it. And I was like, oh, they got me. And I, I and then you liked it. And then I ended up liking it. So, yeah. Yeah, well, good. And then uh, has that – have you seen a payoff for that yet? In certain regards, I think – so what I kind of find satisfying too is if the person reacts, like they definitely responded or something like that. Like I always try to thank people and stuff like that, uh, you know, especially if they're giving me credit or anything like that or they they say something nice to me. I want to make an effort out of the way to, hey, thank you for, you know, giving me that kind of feedback even. Even if yeah. it's like kind of constructive too, but um, so a lot of the times, trying to think in particular if there is anything really, but no, but it, it just it definitely created more of a positive sense on social media. I think over, yeah, yeah. You so know? you put, yeah, and that so you you put yourself into a uh, uh, a bigger pool of positivity. So that's good. The reason I ask about the payoff is just that karma comes back in many forms, and something might have stuck out in your mind. You know, yeah. Yeah. I think some of the just the cool feedback that we've gotten from the show is, has been kind of rewarding in a lot of ways. And just like even just the random stuff. Hell, my mom commenting. I was like, dude, that, well, that, <laughs> that's kind of nice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, prompter, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, no, that's that's uh, that's awesome. Um, you know, like. Uh, like. I think I, you know, I don't have any interest in like going backwards. So that makes it, that makes it growth. You know what I mean? Like here's, here's, here's what I'm thinking that I'm trying to articulate. Um, Like Katie kind of introduced me into like a whole new world of girls that actually want you to look at them. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, like so different. So like, I think about where I was before where I wasn't even allowed to look at anything, you know, or else I was doing something wrong and I should feel guilty for some reason. And, you know, and I'm being, uh, but, and and from there to where it's like, um, she knows like all of her friends, you know, are, 
the reason that they're posing on Instagram and showing you their ass is because they want to get a lot of likes. And so, uh, and, and I'm all about that. Guess what? I want to look at them too. So, Hey, good job. You know what I mean? And, um, it doesn't even matter if it's, uh, if it's, if it's someone that's like, um, um, a girlfriend or a wife of, of someone that I know that's a dude or whatever, then, um, you know, I'm just going to give them a like and like scroll on as opposed to falling in love with the picture, which sometimes it's like, damn, look at this. Uh, but yes, um, by her um, being so positive and, and her, you know, wanting me to, to, to like those and to support and thinking that's a good thing and stuff. Uh, it's like, um, that's like a whole new world of happiness around me now that, that, is, that is surrounding me. And I think of, uh, where I was before with, with haters where, where people just hate on each other. And it's like, God, like I, I, I wouldn't want to go back to that. It's, no. you know, it's kind of like uh what do they call it? Like the red pill almost where it's like, Oh, he wakes up and be like, Jesus, life isn't kind of like that. You know, where you're just, yeah. 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 All right. Well, Rob, yeah. the floor is yours here, man, for smart videology. Let's get to kicking on it. Okay. Um, so I just want to uh, touch upon this ideology that I have. I think that people in general are very uncomfortable with what they don't know. And that's an issue because then they fill in the gaps with bullshit. It might be something that they know is bullshit or they just make something to fill up the blanks uh, and then it makes them feel more comfortable, but it could be still like really far from the truth. And so something that's important to me is, uh, is knowing what I know. And in order to know what I know, I have to know what I don't know. And so that's, that's, that's what's really is important. You need to know that most of the time, what you don't know is so much more than what you do know about anybody, a person, about a circumstance, uh, about anything. You just don't know. And how can you? Like, what do you really know? Um, way back when I was, well, I guess I was 18, uh, 18 or 19, because I was training for the Tough Man Contest, the the first one, I think. Anyway, this dude that was training me, he did a lot of really unorthodox training. And uh, and he put this principle in my head about only committing to what you really know. And uh, one of the ways he explained it, uh, he said uh, he pointed at the screen on his door. Um, the upper half had a, a window cut out where there was a screen of this push open door. And he said, how big is that uh, screen? And I was like, um, I guess it's like, uh, I don't know, two and a half feet. He said, is it? I, I don't know. He said, well, well, how big is it? Uh, I, I guess it's, he said, no, just tell me what you know. And I was trying to grasp his meaning. It was like, what do I really know for sure that I can tell him about that's not just a guess, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and I looked at it and I was like, I, I don't know. And he said, um, he said, well, he said, put your hand up there on the screen. And, and so I did. I put my hand up there and he said, is the screen bigger than your hand? I said, yeah. He said, well, there you go. You know that, you know, the screen is bigger than your hand. And I was like, that's true. Like, I know that, but what else do I really know? And, and that really like 
hit home with me and I adapted that and made that part of my perspective always. Uh, the older I get and the more I focus on my own spiritual growth, the more important that has become. Uh, but people try to put words in my mouth all the time that, and I just say, I don't know because I don't know. It could be anything, you know. Um, hey, they found a hidden camera uh, in the in the in the hotel room. Wow! So that means that that person was watching footage of them and jerking off, huh? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't. Yeah. <clears throat> people are uncomfortable with not knowing everything, and so a lot of people, it's just their habit to fill in the blanks or to be like a a shitty detective and try to come up to, uh, to a resolution, uh, really quick. And, and, you know, it's like, Oh man, my, your tire is flat. Damn. That means you've been driving around with a flat tire all day. Then, huh? I don't know. How would I know that? You know what I mean? If you, if you buy a dog and you know that you're going to be burying that dog, if you think, well, you know, the dog's only going to live so long. I know someday, I'm going to be burying the dog. You're fooling yourself. How could you possibly know that, that you're going to outlive the dog? True. It's people's subconscious. It's their default system to not think the way that I'm telling you to, but it's keeping it real. I mean, you could, you could have your grandpa come in and, and move in with you because he's old and needs somebody to take care of him. And in your mind, you might think that you're going to outlive him and you're going to have to plan his funeral, but you do not know that. And if you think you know that, then you're not keeping it real with yourself. And I think it's important to keep it real with yourself. Um, a lot of times, if I talk about the future, um, I, I will add, I hope, or I'll add, you know, God willing. And I'm not someone to throw the, the name God out a whole lot, so... For me, a lot of times I'll say, I hope, you know, or if I'm still alive. Um, Kit Likens, my kickboxing instructor, texted me, hey, I heard you're going to be in uh, Battle Creek or something. And I said, yeah, on September 30th, if I'm still alive. <laughs> and that's just, that's my, that's how I think about it. Like it seemed yeah. like it was so far away. And then I started thinking about it for a few days and I was like, I better follow up with that. He might take that wrong. He might, <laughs> he might think, you know, that I'm going through something or, you know, and, <laughs> and I, so I was like, it's just so far ahead, you know, that I, that I, that I add that in, but, but I do, you know, if someone says, Hey, are you going to be in uh, uh you know, are you going to Canada in, in January? I cannot know. And, and so it's my uh, one of my ways, my uh, ideology to to throw in that, that at least to know in your head that that you just don't know. You don't know what's going on with someone else. You know, uh, hey, man, I don't care what the deal is, man. You don't ever punch a woman. This guy, I saw this guy hit his lady at the gas station. Man, I beat his fucking ass. I don't care what the deal is. Well, okay. <laughs> what if that woman happened to have stolen everything from him? What if that woman killed his wife and, and kidnapped his baby? And and what if, I don't know, you know, what if that woman uh, was swinging and hit him 10 times first? 
absolutes is a whole different subject, which I do talk about. I don't believe in absolutes because everything is circumstantial, mm -hmm. but everything all lines up because it all makes sense. Just like nonfiction, it all ties in together. So because of that, we only know what we know. And it's really not that much uh, in comparison to, to the bigger picture. You know, we can tell each other, you know, like, yeah, we're, you know, we're going away next weekend. We're going to go on vacation. And you can tell yourself that you know that. And you should plan on being around. You should plan on being alive. But if you really want to keep it real with yourself, um, maybe add in, we're going on vacation next weekend, God willing. And, and the reason it's important, I think, there's a few reasons. But one that, oops, one that, I, think, <laughs> one that I think I can explain about keeping it real with yourself is, then you won't be so shocked and then you can handle when bad things happen because uh, being shocked, being surprised, being caught off guard, that's not a good thing. That's, that's you being vulnerable. That's you probably being damaged. And so it's best to just know that, Hey, maybe make the most of spending the time with your loved ones right now, because you don't know that you're all going to be getting together again on Christmas next year. You don't fucking know. And when, when, when somebody um, passes away or something, it, people get shocked. People are still shocked that Eddie Guerrero died. It happened mm -hmm. like so long ago. And, and, and I don't, I'm not talking bad about them, but I'm saying there's, there's something to being prepared for the inevitable and being prepared for anything could happen just by being real with yourself and saying that you really don't know how the events are going to unfold. All you can do is um, build the right tools so that you can make the right decisions, know your priorities and uh, live your life the best to your own values, but know that you don't know everything. Man. Holy smokes. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Well, do you know if you're going to be here next week to record? Are we going <laughs> to? Do you know that? I certainly hope so. There we go. Do you know? God willing. Yeah. God willing, I'll be there. So yeah. uh, it'll be interesting to see how I apply that this week. I'm I'm looking forward to trying. Who's that? Who's that? Um, the 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 wrestler, you know that like um, they were with Bray Wyatt, um, and they had the characters and the Brody Lee. Brody Lee, yes. Remember, you don't think Brody Lee, when he was around with his family, you don't think they knew that they were going to be getting together for New Year's Eve? Right. They thought they knew that, but it didn't happen. You know, that's that's real life. And, you know, the longer you're alive, the more people you see pass. That's one thing that I've learned. And I've seen a lot of people go. It's not even just about that, but that's one really heavy way to make it really sink in so that hopefully people can understand my point is like you don't know what's going to happen. It's a sobering feeling, but it, it does help set the bar for you. Like kind of, yeah. like, you know, tamper your expectations for sure. So who good stuff, Rob. Good stuff. Thanks, man. So next week uh, you can tell me your stories about how many times you had to add God willing in and That's how right. <laughs> better about having the perspective of the bigger picture um, in line with reality. Absolutely. Wait till you, I start spamming you with that too. On, on text. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Everybody leave comments about uh yes. if you can take any of this shit. Tell Absolutely. Me if I'm not 
exactly if you agree if you disagree with rvdology uh tell me you still remember that match when i beat cena <laughs> <laughs> yeah that part too <laughs> anything else you want to plug rob i know you you're kind of taking it easy on june right but then you got things are starting to pick back up later on actually i think june got uh i got two or three trips in june uh the next travel uh for me is going to be june 11th i'm in uh jacksonville florida at uh, river city wrestling at a, at a convention and uh katie and i will both be there um so that's coming up the weekend after next so until then i got time to be home and uh, catch up on uh on a bunch of other stuff both production and uh personal yeah there you go there you go hey guys yeah be sure to follow rvd at the real rvd you can follow me at dominic d'angelo follow the podcast at rvd pod and you can check out all the clips and everything like that at rvdpod.com. But you can get the full episode here. If you're seeing us, you're seeing us on the Premier Streaming Network. And you can go to watchonpremier.com to check that out. So as far as anything else, I think that's all I really have to plug. So cool. Rob, this has been a great show. Holy crap. I, learned a I don't know if I mentioned this before, but this just like popped in my head earlier. And it just came back in my head. I was talking about asking you. If you noticed ways, you know, that like spreading uh, the hearts were coming back to you. Um, I was just talking about karma. You know, they did a uh, show, Rich and Shameless, there's a show called. and they just I heard did about this. that. Is it on uh, TNT, I think? Uh, I think it's on ID, but I'm not, I don't know. You might be okay. right. You might okay. be right. I think you are right. Yeah. Because I remember, because that's what they said they were going to be on. They wanted me to be on the show they were going to do on Hulk Hogan. Right. Oh. And and the way that they pitched it to me was, you know, oh, they'll talk about my career, talk about his career, you know, this and that. And uh, when I saw Hulk, I mentioned it to him um, and uh, he said, yeah, they want to drag up a bunch of uh, shit from the past. I, you know, he said, I'd rather I didn't tell you this, right? No, you didn't tell me this. No. <laughs> he said, uh, oh, I just remember it. I can't tell you how it pays off yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's OK. <laughs> <laughs> well he didn't want me to he said i'd rather he said he said i'd rather you not do it and uh and anyway he said you know they bring up all this old shit and then my then my phone ain't ringing you know and it's like it goes against me and i'm like yeah but you know i could i'd be standing up for you i'd be saying you said yeah i'd rather you do it so i was like well enough said you know um hulk's hulk's the dude you know that i used to watch growing up he's the he's the guy that i still feel like a fan around you know like when he's he's Hulk hogan but anyway Enough said, you know, that I, that I won't do it. And uh, I watched it the other day, and it was all about that sex tape. Um, but so I turned that down. Uh, but as soon as I did, I got this uh, other project about a, uh, a big RVD project that I guess I can't really talk about yet. <laughs> but I think you know about it anyway. I think I probably told you. But... You might have. I, we'll talk about it when I hit yeah. And broadcast, that's what will happen. <laughs> anyway, that was that's just karma. So it was like much bigger to have something about me than about him, you know, that, that it came around to like boom, you know, they also wants to do this with you, boom. Was, you know, I try and pay attention to that. Uh, sometimes you never know, but you can be sure there might be something that might not have happened had this happened in the past. You know what I mean? Right. So, yeah. It so, all goes around a circle, man. All around for cool. All right, cool, dude. Well, uh, I enjoyed the talk. No, know what you don't know. Just because you see a guy 
running down the sidewalk uh, and everybody chasing him uh, doesn't necessarily mean he's a bad guy. You don't right? know what happened. You don't Those know what happened. Shoot him. <laughs> right, right. How about cops? How about cops? Uh, they get a call. They'll just go up to, I see this all the time, videos of this. They go up to somebody, the wrong person, and they just go right up to them. They'll say, all right, put your hands on there. Should I said, turn around and put your hands up, but you're not complying. Quit resisting. And they got the wrong guy because they got a call, you know, or sometimes they got the right guy and the call was just so fucked up. Like the call said that they were doing a bunch of shit that they weren't even doing. And so the cop, he doesn't know anything. You should not take that call as even reasonable suspicion, let alone as facts, you know? Right. There's the detective work that comes into that too. <laughs> right. Investigate. Yes. Yeah, same, same thing with those, uh, what are they called? The raids when kids are playing video games. And oh, the swatting when they get swatted. Yeah. Same thing. It's like those cops go in there not knowing what they think they know. Right. They go in there not knowing anything and they got to realize that, you know, and figure out, like you said, do some investigating. Right. You get, oh. your, your whole house gets destroyed. Jeez, what the hell? A couple more examples if you don't understand it. Right. Hey, hit us up. You know, hit us up in the comments if you don't get it. We'll get you. Cool. Hey, guys, God willing, hopefully we'll see you next week here. Gosh, yes. With RVD. I, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs>